Acts 18, verse 1 through 11. And this is what the word of the Lord says. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied or devoted himself with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook off his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Verse 7. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Tertius Justus, a, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Verse 9. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. And do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Praise God for his word. So, as we are going to dive into the text and just start digging into what God is communicating here, I want us to reflect back in the last several years uh, to think about both life and ministry. We know that in life and ministry, we're trying to balance the reality of work, family, children, school, ministry. I mean, the list can continue, right? So many kind of responsibilities that we try to balance and it is not always easy. It's difficult. We understand that there are a lot of ups and downs, a lot of joyful moments and sorrowful moments, a lot of times of tears and a lot of times of laughter. You see, as we serve God and live on mission, there are realities that will take place. We will be spiritually attacked. We will have dry seasons. There will be broken relationships. We will experience betrayal and hurts. We will have fruitless labors in the mission field. And the reality of discouragement can easily drown us away. 
any desire to keep on going will slowly fade away. Imagine plowing and plowing and plowing and no fruit. Like you're trying to reach people for the Lord Jesus. You're trying and you're trying and you're trying and still no response. Maybe they begin to ridicule you or talk about you. And after a while, you get tired. You feel like giving up. Discouragement sets in. Imagine going through a difficult season in ministry. You're, you know, serving the Lord. You're doing outreaches. You're doing all kind of things. And you are in a season of drought. Nothing taking place. But all of a sudden, you begin to see fruit. But at this time, it's hard for you to actually enjoy it. It's hard for you to enjoy the fruit because you are so worn out. You begin to experience ministry burnout. And these moments rob the joy away from you. And it is in these moments where, where we are tempted to think that maybe I'm just not strong enough. Maybe there's something wrong that I'm doing. Maybe I'm not a good Christian. Maybe, 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 maybe all kind of stuff that we're looking inwardly. Well, today in this passage, this is what we're seeing with the Apostle Paul. Because keep in mind, the Apostle Paul, when we think of him, we think of him as a hero in the faith. But as we are going to work through the text, we're going to get to the point where he's just as human as you and I. And he is in much need of the grace of God like you and I. So let us go through the first area. So we're going to talk about the location. The location, location, location has a lot to do with what's taking place we see in verse 1 that he left Athens and went to Corinth. Now, let me give you a, a little bit of a historical background to, to Corinth. First, we understand that Paul wrote 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. When we're reading Acts chapter 18, this is the missionary journey that he was in when he began to, to make disciples. And so later on, he writes to the Christians in Corinth, the people he, he's meeting here. So we see 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians lining up historically with what's taking place. Now, Corinth was a major commercial city. It, had both a, 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 it was both based on wealth and business. And the location of the city put it right between the ports that were there. There was a, one port on the east and then the, another port on the west. So when people were traveling, they would land on one port and they had to travel through Corinth to get to the other port. So 
with that, you know that there was going to be a lot of merchandise, a lot of people that were traveling, a lot of people selling their goods. But Corinth became famous for its corruption and immorality. Follow with me. Because at the center of Corinth was a temple, which was called the Temple of Aphrodite, which was the goddess of love. Now, this temple employed at least a thousand female slaves, which they were called priestesses, who walked the city every evening as prostitutes. So imagine the culture and the environment that Paul was beginning to start this church at. Now, another thing is that in Paul's days, it is believed that the city of Ephesus which is the next town that Paul will travel to, that there was an S, a little bit over 500,000 people in that city. So in Corinth, there was at least about 750,000 people. And in Rome, there was over a million people. So this gives you an idea that it was a big city. Corinth itself was a big city, heavily populated with all kind of sinful lifestyles. So now, follow with me, because the classical word, the Greek word for the Corinthians, it was used to the word Corinthianize. So if you were called a, a Corinthianize, it was, it was a synonym for fornication. It was a synonym for, for fornication. Now, you see the kind of name that it carried. So if you were from Corinth, what would they think? Man, you come from a pretty bad place. You come from a pretty bad place. So now, imagine the darkness that plagued Corinth. Think about it as a combination of Los Angeles to Las Vegas to New York, like, you know, all in one, right? All kind of craziness taking place. But now, Paul always traveled to these influential cities. And it is in these cities that he began to preach the gospel. And it is in these cities that he would be dragged out, like Athens, Berea, he traveled to all these places that were well-known cities. Now, there was a purpose behind that. God was reaching people in the urban communities, kind of like where we're in. He was an urban missionary reaching the inner city. So now what we're going to look at with that in mind, the Corinthian place, the kind of lifestyle, the darkness that came along with it. Now, what Paul was trying to do in beginning to make disciples. Now, follow with me because this is in line with what you and I are doing in the city that we're in. It's not peaches and cream to follow Jesus in the city, right? It's hard. It's difficult. So now look at, when we look at uh, uh, the Apostle Paul, it says that 
He came from Athens and he went to Corinth and he found a Jew named Achilla. And he also found, it was Achilla and his wife Priscilla. Now, they had left Rome and they came to Corinth. Now, as I was studying through the text, it says that they were tent makers. So Paul was working. A work ethic of of Paul is that he was a hard worker. He was a tent maker. And to be a tent maker, you had to work with your hands. Now, some commentators, as I was reading, said that it was a probability that he worked with leather. As somebody's dad in here works with leather. Because a lot of the tents were made out of leather. So more than likely, Paul worked with leather as they built the tents. So can you imagine that? He's a hard worker. So we see something from Paul is that Paul was not always in full-time ministry. He also worked. But that did not stop him from sharing the gospel. A lot of times we think that in order for us to be used by God, we got to stop everything we're doing and go full-time ministry. We see here that Achilles and Priscilla were working along with Paul. They were working, but yet they were still being used by God. So there will be seasons where maybe God calls you into full-time ministry. And maybe there will be seasons where you go working full-time. But either way, you still will be used by God. And so what we see from here is that God continued to provide for Paul. Whether it was through work or through the gracious giving of the churches. Now, we understand that Paul learned to be content in all of this. He learned to trust in the Lord to provide for his needs. He just didn't sit around and wait for God to bless him. He even says in other passages, like in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, this is what he says in verse 9. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim the gospel of God. Do you see that? It went hand in hand. As they worked, they used it as an opportunity to share Jesus. So just because we're working doesn't mean that we don't get to share Jesus. Through our words and through our actions. And so what we see here is that they labored day and night. He didn't want to be a burden to them. And so God would provide through that. Now gospel, what we see is that gospel ministry can take place anywhere. Whether you're at school, at work, amongst friends, gospel ministry can take place anywhere. We're all instruments in God's hand. Now, another thing that we see about 
Paul's life is how he met Aquila and Priscilla. These are co-laborers in the faith. Through God's providence, Paul connected with them. And, and this is so interesting because it says that Paul stayed with them. So this shows Priscilla and Achilles' hospitable hearts to open not only uh, their heart but their home to the Apostle Paul. This is God's grace working in them. And not only that, they played a significant role in Paul's life. What we see is that this was a Christ-exalting couple. I'm talking about they were like zealous for Jesus. And so they were willing to help out in any area. Look at how, what Paul says about them in Romans 16. Romans 16, this is the end of, uh, of, uh, of the letter to, to uh, the Christians in Rome. And this is what he's writing. Look at verse 3. It says, greet Prissa which is Priscilla, and Achilla, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. What did they do in verse 4? It says, who risked their necks for my life. Do you see what kind of lifestyle they had? They, they were willing to risk their lives for Paul. And it says, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks. So do you see... The gratitude in the behalf of the rest of the churches. But not only that, look at what it says in verse 5. And greet also the church in their house. So the church that meets inside of their house. So they also had a, a, a church plant in their home. People would gather together on the Lord's Day and they would celebrate Jesus. So I mean... They were all about making disciples. They were all about being uh, gracious to, to, to what God had called them to do. They were going out there. They were serving Jesus. They were serving the saints. Their hearts were open for kingdom work. But their homes were also open for kingdom work. You know, this couple is a good example to us married people of what it looks like. To have an open heart and an open home to the kingdom work. So we see now Paul in action here. Now we get to the next point. And in this next point, we're seeing Paul's rhythms here, but now in ministry. First it was in his life, now in ministry. And so what we're looking at is that Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia. This is key because, again, everything that's taking place is historical events that are taking place. And they're in line with everything that's going on, even in the letters that Paul was writing. So now, in Acts chapter 16, um, we find in verse 9 through 10, it says, And a vision appeared to Paul in, in the night, a man of Macedonia standing there, urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. So there goes one thing. Now the next thing is in Acts chapter 17, verse 14 through 15. 
This is what uh, it says. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So what we're seeing here is that Silas and Timothy has stayed behind. And now Paul was in Corinth by himself, and he had been there for a while. Now finally, we see that Silas and Timothy arrive. Their arrival served as encouragement to Paul. Because now what we're seeing is that right after that, Paul begins to preach the gospel. It says that he devoted himself to the word. And after that, he began the ministry that God had entrusted him, which he started going out to the Jews and sharing with them or reasoning with them that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, that Jesus was the Messiah himself. And so what we're seeing is that Timothy and Silas, they arrive. And I'm, 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 I'm emphasizing these pieces because we're going to go back to that as why each, each section served its important part in, in God ministering to Paul. Now, but not only there was their arrival and encouragement to Paul, but more than likely it was also a financial provision because the churches that were left behind more than likely gave to what was going on because we see also in one of Paul's letters to the Corinthians where he says the brothers the brothers that came from Macedonia, they came to supply my needs. Then in another verse, we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And I, man, I love this passage here because 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Look at what it says. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. This is not as we expected, but they gave themselves First to the Lord and then to the will of God. So Paul is using the, the churches in Macedonia as an example of their gracious giving. So what we see here then when Silas and Timothy arrived, they must have came with a gracious contribution to the gospel ministry. Because it was right after that that Paul began going full time at it. He starts going to the Jews and Reasoning with them, testifying that Jesus was the Christ. Now, we get to this part where we understand that everything that Paul was doing was about preaching the gospel. Everything. Preaching the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, it says that he came preaching Christ and him crucified. That's all Paul was doing. Preaching the gospel. So now 
look at the response that is taking place here. In verse 6, and when they opposed and reviled him, being the Jews, they opposed him. He shook off his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of this. The response that the Jews had, his own people did not receive the message. They rejected the message and they ridiculed Paul. And so now look at the way Paul responds to them. He says, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. He says, I am no longer responsible then. I gave you the message of the gospel, and it is not up to me if you receive it. And the same way with us, when we share the gospel, the salvation of that person is not dependent upon us. It is the work of God. And so what we're seeing here is that Paul is saying, look, I cleaned off my hands. I gave you the gospel and you did not receive it. But notice in the manner that Paul is communicating this. Look at what it says. Your blood be on your own heads. What's after that? What kind of punctuation point is there? An exclamation point. Does that mean that Paul said, oh, guys, <laughs> you know, I tried to tell you about Jesus and you did not receive it. No, I don't think he responded that way. I'm pretty sure that it was with a direct voice. And I'm pretty sure he looked frustrated. I'm pretty sure he had already been trying to tell them about Jesus and yet they didn't understand. And you get to a point where you get frustrated. Like, you know what? Forget about it. I try to tell you enough, but forget about it. You don't want to get it? That's fine. I'm innocent. That blood is in your head, not mine. I'm sure it was something like that, right? I mean, can we identify with Paul there when we're trying to reach somebody over and over and over again and they just don't get it? We don't just tap him in the back and be like, okay, go along your way. I'm sure they see the expressions in our face and we get upset. They're like, come on, bro. Like, seriously? You still don't get it? Like, you get to the point where you get frustrated. Or am I the only one that gets like that? Right? Oh, thank you, brother. How are you? Yeah, man. Like, come on. And, and it gets difficult. And, and I'm sure that in this moment that Paul was probably getting a little bit frustrated. But look at what happens next. This didn't stop Paul. Look at what happens next. He goes out of the synagogue and he goes next door. <laughs> he leaves the synagogue and he goes next door to another person that lived next door. And what happens? All of a sudden, the grace of God begins to work like never before. He meets a man named uh, Titius Justus, which more than likely he was a Roman citizen. Now, it says that he was a worshiper of God. So more than likely, he was already in tune to what the Jews were teaching. 
And so this guy made, makes a good bridge into the Gentile community. And this is something for us to learn. If God is calling us to reach a certain people, we're going to look for those bridges that we can build and with relationships that can help us to reach the people God's called us to reach. For example, if you go to a foreign country, you're going to go look for someone that can help you engage with the people you're trying to reach. And so this person here, again, God working through all of this was someone that, that God put in his path right next door to the synagogue. He could have left out of there, but he didn't. He went next door. And look. To our surprise, who comes to get saved? It says Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue. And man, this is what this is amazing here. The ruler of the synagogue. I mean, this is where he was just at, ministering the gospel, and they were rejecting it. The last person you expect to believe is going to be their leader. And it is their leader that comes to the faith. Now, I guarantee you that is shocking. Imagine today, like, for example, if you go into a hostile uh, Muslim community and you build a relationship with a few Muslims and you begin to share Jesus with them and the leader of one of their mosques Come to know Jesus. Not just a regular Muslim that was there, a leader of the mosque coming to know Jesus is going to impact the community. It's going to shock them. And this is what God is doing. He's saving all kind of people. Like Howard was saying earlier, this gospel's for everyone. And we're seeing it here. It, just, it doesn't mean that it's the person that doesn't have no kind of understanding to it and they're going through a bad time and this and that. The gospel is for everyone. Your religious people and your unreligious people. And so what we see here is that Jesus was working through all of this, right? Jesus is making himself known to the people and people are being blown away because not only does the leader of the, the synagogue come to the faith, but his whole household. And not only does his household come to the faith, it also says that many of the Corinthians who were here in Paul believed and they were baptized. Man, hallelujah. That's the kind of work we want to see. As we're going out there into the neighborhood, that we're seeing leaders from the, from the gangs coming to know Jesus, not just the regular workers, people that are hustling out there coming to know Jesus. Man, that's what we're wanting to see that will create a, like a, an effect upon the community. Like this is like a person they saw like as a troublemaker and all of a sudden, what? He's a follower of Jesus. They did the same thing with Paul. Some of the Christians were like, man, I don't even know if I want to come around Paul. He was a killer of Christians. But that is the radical grace of God. And so that is what we're seeing. And, 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 and so what we find here, it, this is a moment where we all get to celebrate. We all get to celebrate. But look at what happens next 
in verse 9. In verse 9, a greater shock to us all takes place. It is Paul's emotional condition at this moment. It says here in verse 9, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid. let, Let me pause for a moment there. Do not be afraid. Why would God tell Paul not to be afraid? Like with our kids, when we're seeing them, that they look fearful, that, you know, they don't want to do something. We're like, don't be afraid. I'm here with you. We tell them that in response to something, right? Because we're seeing something in them and we're not wanting them to be afraid. And in here, in the text, we see that God is specifically telling Paul not to be afraid and to go on speaking and do not be silent. Why did Paul have to hear from God for him not to be afraid, for him to continue to talk, and for him not to be silent? Why? And this is where I want to really squeeze out of this. Because now I see I can identify with the Apostle Paul here. Because In this moment, it was a great opportunity for Paul to be rejoicing, but yet he was discouraged. He needed God to speak to him. There are many moments in life and in seasons of life and ministry where we are discouraged. We have been plowing and plowing and trying hard, and all of a sudden we begin to see fruit, but yet it's so hard to rejoice. I know some of y'all can identify with what I'm talking about. It's hard to rejoice. Because you're so worn out. You've been trying hard. And you've been trying and it's still nothing takes place. And then when finally something happens, you're like, oh, you know, you're barely moving. You're tired. God had to speak to Paul. And God has to speak to each and every one of you. Because when you get in a, in a funky mode like that, oh, no tap in the back is going to be good enough. God has to speak to each one of us. And so what we see here is that we're going to look at the providential grace of God in the life of Paul in here. So now when I speak of the providence of God, the providence of God is a governance of God by which he, with wisdom and love, cares and directs all things in this universe. Meaning that God is in complete control. God will accomplish what he set his will out to do. So he will ensure that his purposes will be fulfilled. So God governs the affairs of man and works through the natural order of things. So follow with me because there is never a time when God loses control. 
Now, you and I lose control all the time, right? But we can look to one who never loses control, and that is God. And so what we're seeing here, we're going to evaluate this part of the text and look at the providential grace of God working through this as a way of God already knowing what Paul was going to go through. This wasn't something new. This wasn't like God's going to tell him, hey, you're the apostle, Paul. You should have it together. Right? God didn't do that to him. This shows the compassionate heart of God. He's a good, good father, right? Perfect in all of his ways. I mean, we sing that. But do we believe that, right? We sing that. And so what we're looking at in here is that the providential grace of God working in all areas of Paul's life. We look at the first section where Paul arrives in Corinth. And who does he meet? Achilles and Priscilla. And I'm talking about these were some OGs in the faith, man. They were like hardcore for the Lord Jesus. They're the kind of people that are always on fire that you want to be around. Right? I mean, you have those Christians in your life that, man, they're always lit up for Jesus and and you want to be around them. Because they encourage you. And so imagine Achilles and Priscilla. But not only is the providential grace of God working in that, guess who else comes to visit? Timothy and Silas. The arrival of Timothy and Silas. This is also crucial because not only is Timothy and Silas bringing, a, a, you know, financial giving, but also the good news of what's taking place. There's another passage that talks about that they brought good news to me of the work that was taking place. And so, again, Paul's discouraged, but yet God had already been preparing working before Paul got to this point. But I'm sure that along the way, Paul must have already been feeling this. Because I, I, I tell you, discouragement does not just open the door and walk in. Discouragement had already been in your house. And then finally you took notice of it when all of a sudden you felt like not even getting up off the sofa. Discouragement was already drowning you out. And so God was already fully aware of that. The providential grace of God sending now Silas and Timothy, again, co-laborers in the faith with Paul. And as he sends them, this is a picture of community. The grace of God in community. Paul cannot do this on his own. Now, hear me, family, because in this, we see something very important. The kind of place that Corinth was, Paul could not do this on his own. God was fully aware that Paul could not do this on his own. Therefore, he sent people to labor along with him. 
This is the grace of God, the mercy of God in the life of Paul. And today I see it even in our lives because we couldn't do this on our own. You know how many times we try to reach the community like, like we're doing now? And all kind of stuff went wrong. Man, everything would fall apart. Doors were closing. People were leaving. All kind of problems were taking place. And now finally we're seeing doors open. Because God is working in all of this. God is putting people together where they need to be. Because we could never do this on our own. We're not Lone Rangers here, right? But even Lone Rangers had a sidekick. What was his name? Toto or something, right? We need the people of God. And to be in community with one another. Because when you're discouraged, guess what the enemy is trying to tell you to do? To isolate yourself. Right? Don't we normally do that? We, we pull away. And God is calling us into community. Look at how he brought people to be around Paul. And God will bring people to be around you. Don't push against it. But receive it. It is the providential grace of God. But now, what are some of the reasons why Paul would be discouraged? And, 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 and this is where, 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 where I'm, you know, when I started looking through the text, it really blew my mind. Because when you see this, that Paul was, he was struggling with fear. But this is an unusual fear because Paul was going out into these places and, and they were dragging him out and he was going right back in. How was it that all of a sudden he's experiencing this unusual fear? Well, there might be two reasons. The first one, we look at 1 Corinthians, again, the letter that he wrote to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2 and 3, and I'll read this to you. Look at what it says. Um, where it talks about, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Verse 3, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Paul is saying that when I was with you, I was in much weakness and fear and trembling. That, that's an, an unusual emotional place for Paul to be. But I wonder why. You see, the reputation that, that Corinth had was that it was a spiritually dark place. There was a lot of demonic attacks that were taking place in there. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, look at what it says. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 18. Now consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices, participants in, in the altar. What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or, then I, or that an idol is anything? No, I imply what pagan sacrifice they offer it to who? It says to demons. The idolatry that was taking place there, Paul understood that it was demonic. 
It was demonic. There was real demonic war that was taking place here. And Paul saw that because he's saying, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake at the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Why is Paul using that language of demons? I guarantee you that he was already experiencing demonic attacks. I guarantee you that he was already experiencing spiritual attacks. Why is it that the letter to the Corinthians and the letter to the Ephesians contains information about spiritual stuff like that? Because in Ephesians chapter 6, we have the armor of God. And it says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities in dark places. Why? Because Ephesus and Corinthians and Thessalonica, all those areas were filled with demonic spirits. There was a real, real demonic war there. And a lot of times we don't like to think about that because I'm like, I'd rather push away from that. But there are real demons. And we see that in the text that Paul was unusually fearful. Man, and I, I tell you that when you're on the mission, when God's calling you to, and you're going into an area like this, you will experience unusual seasons of discouragement. And you're like, where is this coming from? Why can't I shake it off? I try harder, I try harder, and I try harder. But it just gets more difficult. Man, I've been in moments like that where all of a sudden, you know, I'm trying to get into the word because the the next following day, God God had called me to share the the gospel somewhere. And that whole evening, I couldn't even read the word. My mind was so cloudy. I couldn't even concentrate. I told my wife, we got to leave from here, go rent a room somewhere because we can't stay in this house. There was too much idolatry taking place in there. I'm talking about all kind of candles that were lit up to all kind of stuff in there. I'm like, oh, man, no. So we left, and guess what? When I stayed at that, uh, 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 in the hotel, all of a sudden, I, I mean, I was able to get in my word, prepare for the next day. The enemy was trying to discourage me and keep me down because he knew that what I was fixing to go do. God had already called me to go minister the gospel somewhere. But I could have just given up with discouragement. See, the enemy will try to come after us. He will shoot all kind of fiery darts at us to keep us in a place of discouragement. And it's so hard for us to get out of that. And another reason that uh, probably Paul was experiencing this was also burnout. If you look at everything that had been taking place in the life of Paul, Man, he was at it. He was busy. He was doing the, the, the work of the Lord. He was evangelizing. He was uh, building leaders. He was uh, reaching people and, and, you know, that no one wanted to reach to. He was being criticized. He had opposition on all sides. His own people were against him. Like all kind of false teachers were rising up. All kind of cares. There was a lot of stuff going on, right? So follow with me. Easily. 
easily we can experience burnout. I was reading through one of the commentaries and it was talking about that there's a big possibility that by this time, Paul couldn't rejoice over what was going on because he was feeling the burnout of everything. So you have the burnout of ministry and spiritual attacks combined together. Come on. Man, you know, this speaks down our lane, man. Like for real. Many of us have experienced this. Several years ago, me and my wife were experiencing ministry burnout. And the people around us were getting hurt. People around us were feeling it. And then on top of that, the spiritual attacks were many times where my wife couldn't sleep at night because she would wake up with all kind of crazy nightmares. And she would wake up like that. And I was like, oh, man, it scared me. I'm like, what's going on? And she had this fear that was gripping her that Satan was going to come after our kids. That's a reality. And, and she's like, man, it was hard for us to comprehend, like, God, like, you could have called us anywhere else, but you called us here behind enemy lines. I mean, we live right next to a shelter home. So you already imagine all kind of demonic stuff that I guarantee you takes place there. We're right next door to that. Then on top of that, you have all kind of stuff taking place in the neighborhood. This is not an easy walk in the park. Several years ago, we were trying to reach some people uh, 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 that stayed above a cantina. You know what a cantina is, right? For some of my Hispanic friends, right? Cantina, right? <laughs> and so you, you could already imagine all kind of stuff that was taking place upstairs from drug use, prostitution, and all kind of stuff. And we were going in there. But I guarantee you, man, we will come out of there drained after we were trying to minister to people. But little by little, the enemy was attacking. I remember one night getting a phone call about uh, someone that wanted to uh, commit suicide. And all of a sudden, his voice changed. And all of a sudden, he begins to tell me that Satan told me to tell you that it's all out war against you. Hey, I didn't sign up for this. Like when, when you know, you, when you go study like at a college of biblical studies or stuff like that, they don't tell you to prepare for something like that, right? This is the reality of the mission field. This is the reality in people's lives. Satan wants to devour families. Satan wants to destroy. And God's calling us to step into those circles. So guess what? We're going to be attacked along the way. Each one of us. And it's going to be hard to break out of that. So what God does is amazing. Because what the Lord tells them, he points back to the promises. He tells them, do not be afraid. That do not be afraid is a promise from the Old Testament. From the Old Testament. Follow with me because this is an Old Testament promise that is still true in Paul's days and is still true today. It hasn't changed. God told from Moses, do not be afraid. To Joshua, do not be afraid. And today, do not be afraid. The same God that promised in the Old Testament is faithful today. He will never change. 
says, do not be afraid. But not only that, he also promises. He says, for I am with you. The promise of his presence. You know, when we're feeling discouraged, we usually feel alone. We usually feel like no one can understand what we're going through. But here, God's telling them, I am with you. If anyone you want with you in a season of discouragement is God. Not me, Howard and Mo, because we jacked up, right, brothers? Not us. Who you want is God. That is why we should train and teach one another. Don't first run to one another. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Now, when you spend enough time with the Lord... All of a sudden, God reminds you of who to call and include him in what's going on. But don't run to another human who's just as broken as you are. Run first to Jesus. Because it is Jesus who strengthens us. It is Jesus who builds us up. So it is the promise of his presence. Jesus in the gospel commissions, he says, so lo, I am with you even to the end. It is the promise of his presence. So now the next thing that we see, not only the promise of his presence, but the promise of his protection. He says, and no one will attack you to harm you. The promise of his protection. Hey, look, Paul, man, look, I know that people don't like you around here. But I am promising to be with you. And I am promising to protect you. The grace of God working in the Apostle Paul. God is faithful. He promises to be with you. He promises to be protecting you. You know, God is not like one of us. When we make promises, we usually break them. But when God promises, he keeps. And we can rest assured in that. And so we find then that that God was already working in preparation, the providential grace of God, by sending Achilles and Priscilla, Timothy and Silas, creating community for Paul. Not only that, God is intervening and reminding them of the promises. So It is the same thing for us today. We can be reminded of the promises of God in the Old Testament and New Testament. Because it's the Holy Spirit of God that is waking our hearts to that. We're going to be spiritually attacked here. We're going to go through seasons of discouragement. But be reminded that God is with us. Be reminded that he who promises is faithful. And despite the dangerous grounds that we might find ourselves in, God will be with us. No matter how difficult the situation is, the promise of his presence, the promise of his protection is a providential grace of God working in us. So no matter what storms of life we are in, be reminded of the promises of God. Now, I close up with this in Psalms. So in Psalms chapter 56, verse 3 and 4, look at what it says. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. doesn't say I'm never going to be afraid. 
says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose what? Whose word I praise. We cannot do this without the word of God. We need the word of God because in the word of God, we find the promises of God. So it says, what can flesh do to me? Now, verse 9. Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. Hallelujah. This I know that God is for me. And if God is for me, who can be against us? Amen. So God is for me in God whose word I praise. In the Lord whose word I praise. In God I trust. I should not be afraid. What can man do to me. Let that be your song. Let that be your song throughout the day. When you feel the waves of discouragement try to drown you, be reminded that Jesus is the rock upon which you stand on. He is the rock of your salvation. If you're discouraged because you failed, be reminded that the grace of God is sufficient for you. If you're struggling because you're discouraged that maybe I've just sinned too much and, and, and God cannot love me no more, be reminded of the love of God that is in Christ Jesus that was displayed at the cross. And the Bible says that nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. Can you imagine that? We need to stop thinking so much about our own weaknesses and start thinking a lot more about the power of God. Because it is in those moments that that begins to fade away. So today, family, where do you find yourself at? Have you noticed that you've felt, been feeling discouraged? Maybe things are not going your way. Maybe things are not turning out the way you expected it. Maybe people are not receiving the message. Maybe you're feeling burned out. This is a promise to you. Don't be afraid. Trust in the Lord. He promises to be with you. That is more important than anything else in this world. He promises to be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. That is such a blessing. To know that we're not alone. And he promises to be your protection. Be reminded of the God that we serve. In the same way that God intervened in the Apostle Paul's life, he will also intervene in our life. A lot of times we think that we have to wait for somehow we hear God's audible voice speaking to us out of the clouds. But God has spoken. You see this? God has spoken. And we hear him all the time. You just got to open up his word and go to the scriptures and read the word of God because God is faithful to speak to you. But how can he speak to you if you're not opening the word of God? You're expecting for somebody else to come to you. No, just get on your knees and open the word of God. God is so good to you. He is so gracious to you. 
Just open the scriptures and allow the word of God to soothe in your, your soul like honey. Oh, just soothing in your soul. Reminding you of his promises. You're not alone. He is with you. Let's bow our heads. Oh, gracious Father. Today we recognize that, Lord, we have been in a place where sometimes we feel there, there's no hope, that there's no way out. We can get in the mechanics of doing the right things. But, Lord, you are after our hearts. It is a heart of worship, a heart that's worshiping you. So God, today I pray that you would remind us that we can identify with the Apostle Paul. There's a lot of times we think that he's some kind of superhero, but even Paul needed to look to the true hero that is Jesus. And so today I pray, God, that you would help us. Help us, Father God, to look to you. To look to Jesus Christ, in him you have provided. All the promises of God are a yes in Jesus Christ. Help us today, Lord. Help us today. When the enemy tries to come with discouragement, remind us of the promises. When the the enemy tries to attack us, remind us of the promises. When we're beginning to feel ministry burnout, remind us of the promises. Let us be still and know that you are God. I pray today, Father God, for whoever is out there today, Lord, experiencing this in their own lives. Holy Spirit, reach them where they're at. That today they will come to you. That they will come to you. For you have said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Oh, gracious God, that it is a promise that you give us, a promise that we will receive rest, that we can stop trying so hard and just learn to be still. Lord, we we try to do and do and do and do so much as we saw the Apostle Paul, but we can get to that place where we feel so, so Worn out. Only you, Lord, can make dry bones live. Holy Spirit, pour thy grace upon us today. Like rivers of living water that are coming from the throne of heaven today, God. Oh, Lord. That no longer will our soul be thirsty for our thirst will be quenched in thy living waters, Lord. Help us today. Help us today to find rest in you. We need you, Lord. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen.